This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Teachers Talk Radio on the Sunday Twilight Show. This evening, we're going to be talking about all the things we've learned from the longest month of the year. Tune in, talk it out, let us know what you think. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. I hope you're all doing well on this, quite frankly, nasty Sunday night. I don't know where about everyone is in the country, but in Cumbria, we had a beautiful morning today. It was absolutely gorgeous, beautiful sunrise. I was up quite early um, trying to fit everything into a Sunday, fitting in well-being by getting up very early in the morning um, so that I had time to not do anything. There is, there is an irony there, isn't there? Um, so, yeah, so it was a beautiful morning and everything was looking lovely. Not a bit of wind. Yesterday was absolutely howling wind. Um, Storm Malik, isn't it, landed in Cumbria yesterday. Well, he's back and it is currently hammering rain against the window. Hopefully you're not going to be, um, you, you can't hear that. I don't know if my microphone's actually good enough for that. Hopefully you're not going to be disturbed by it. Um, and yeah, horrible uh, rain, wind, and really cold. It had been starting to warm up here, but it's gone really cold again. So hopefully you're experiencing better weather conditions than we are. But anyway, enough about the weather. This is not the weather forecast. Hello to those who've just joined us in the studio. Uh, Miss B and Tanvir, welcome. Nice to see you this evening. Hope you're doing well. So, bit of a reflective show this afternoon. Oh, Tanvir's, uh, we've got a caller already. This is exciting. Uh, sorry, Tanvir, I missed you. Can you try that again, please? Yes. So just until we've got that caller in. Um, yeah. So a bit of a reflective show. I understand now, having completed my first January, why teachers say that January is indeed the longest month of the year. And considering we didn't even have a full January in our school. I don't know about what happened with you, but I mentioned a couple of weeks ago um, on my show that we had a uh, sort of an extended um, inset, really. We had department time at the beginning of term because the students weren't in school immediately because of all the COVID testing that had to be done. Um, so we had a, a three or four days of just getting to grips with everything we had going on. And it has still felt like the end of January is never going to happen. But tomorrow we get there, that is it. Tomorrow it's over. And for us anyway, we've got two more weeks left of term. Uh, welcome to those of you who just entered the studio. And then that week off is already looking amazing. Um, no plans as such, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> and I'm sure everybody's in the same boat. So it's exciting, though, because first year of teaching, I mean, I'm, I'm, am I about halfway through now? Nearly? Not quite. Um, but 
yeah, it's absolutely flying by. And when you, I suppose, when you are working from half term to half term and holiday to holiday, um, you've always got sort of, a, a, you know, your eyes on the prize, if you like. And I think it makes the time go faster. Um, but tonight's show, we're going to be, like I say, reflecting a little bit on everything we've learned this month. And it would be great to get your feedback and opinions on the sort of thing you've been um, working on or have you been doing anything new? Are things starting to get back to normal now that various restrictions have been lifted I know the, the big thing for us is that students no longer have to wear masks so that's a change because I can actually see the faces of my class we haven't always been wearing masks but it, it really does I'm not just you know obviously I'm not talking about the um the, the pros and cons of the actual mask wearing to protect people but it is really lovely to be able to see all of the faces of the students that you're teaching again um, and of course just to hear them clearly and I think they they feel a lot in my experience anyway I think they're a lot more inclined to talk up when they haven't literally got something covering their mouth so that's been quite nice um, so to get into it, we have got, I didn't mention in my um, intro, which I really should have done, very remiss of me, is that we have the fabulous Andy, who is Mr. T's NQT's on Twitter, Twitter hero I call him, and saviour of ECT's. He's was on my show in December, but it was a pre-recorded interview because obviously trying to get everybody's schedules in line before the Christmas holidays was always going to be a challenge. And so we had to do a pre-recorded show, but I am delighted to say that he's going to be joining us live at six o'clock. So if you are listening and if you are an early career teacher or a second year ECT, or indeed a more experienced practitioner, if you have any questions for this fantastic um, advocate of uh, supporting new staff and mentoring both being a mentor and being mentored then please get in touch tune in talk it out send in your questions let us know what you would like to ask and we will have Andy live responding to all of your questions so I'm just going to start off this evening by talking about myself obviously um, I'd love for you to get involved and let us let me know the things that you've learned particularly if this is your first year of teaching or, or even your second and third and you're still doing new things on a semi-regular basis talking about what have we learned from January this year so here's mine and actually when I sat down to prepare for this show tonight I realized that I've, uh, I've actually learned a great deal and it's things that you don't really notice necessarily until you sit down and think what what has actually worked really well for me this this month what have i learned from those experiences and just that in itself i think is so valuable as a teacher i've actually talked about uh reflection quite a lot um over, over the course of my shows and it is such a valuable thing to just sit down and, and have the time to think what worked well what has actually gone right what didn't go so well what can i adjust what do i need to get more knowledge about what am I but most importantly as well what am I actually doing that is working um, so that I can carry on doing it and it really hit home for me this this week because I marked uh, an assessment a sort of a mini assessment if you like for all of my classes over last weekend and it's the first meaty bit of feedback that we've that I've given my students so I teach year seven eight nine and ten and 
all of the classes did a piece of writing for me and I marked it and gave them a, um, you know, some, some really good quality feedback that they were then obviously supposed to act upon. And what I got them to do, which I don't know where I got this from because it just popped into my head, um, was I asked them where I had given them positive feedback. I asked them to reread their work and highlight the things that they had done well because I thought they need to focus first of all on what they've done that was good quality that they know went well so that they can repeat it again and make sure that they all you know try and do those skills in future pieces of writing for me and the effect was really quite profound because I found that the students were actually reviewing their own work and asking questions about it why did I do that well or what about that was good because a lot of them had written things that they, they weren't you know possibly weren't entirely sure about they weren't entirely confident that what they were writing was good they were just you know giving it their best shot and based on my feedback they were engaging with their own work in a way that I've not seen before. Now, you might be listening to this thinking, oh yeah, well, you know, I do that all the time. Of course, that's a really good strategy, but I've never been told to do that. And I've not seen anybody else do that when giving whole class feedback. Um, and in fact, what, what I have previously done is do whole class feedback so that, uh, you know, you, you give a sheet with maybe examples of work that was good and then you give a list of tasks that you then allocate the students with a task and that's what they need to do for their feedback and it was fantastic in the sense that it really cut down on the marking time but whilst the students are always you know nine times out of ten they they are really keen to improve you know they they like being told specifically what they can do to make their work better the emphasis is always on what they need to do better um, or at least it was in the way I was delivering it I'm not saying that other people don't do it better than this but when you're doing something new for the first time you've never done it before you can only go on you know you, you can only make the best job of it yourself and I also found that even though on this particular piece of writing they weren't being marked for literacy they were much more conscious of the mistakes that they'd made with their punctuation and I of course, I'd, I'd written a little note when they'd made a, an error with their spelling or if they'd missed a comma or if it should have been a full stop instead of a comma, you know, the, the common grammatical mistakes that we all see as English teachers and indeed any teacher that requires writing in your subject, which is most of us. Um, I saw that they were, they wanted to improve their work, even though it was maybe just the odd mistake here or there. I hadn't actually... They, they, they were asking me how to improve things that I hadn't even given them as a target. And that attitude to learning, that that sense of they almost like they'd been empowered by the knowledge that they were on the right track and they wanted to give even better answers going forward and, and really improve their work. It was just it was just brilliant to see. It was really uplifting. And then I moving on from that, I then asked them to underline the task that they've been given as an improvement piece and then of course they they did that we use green pen for, for improvement work and then they had to improve on it and 
it then I just thought that the balance of that was excellent and um, the way that they responded to it, it you know like I say it made them much more enthusiastic about doing their work so I have had some that has formed a really good experience for me this um, this term especially and it just got me to thinking about how we need to reflect on our own work and we shouldn't expect the students to do it but not do it as practitioners ourselves and teachers so one of the things I'm going to be talking I'm going to raise myself you know I have burning questions to ask Andy later as well I'm going to use this as an opportunity is not to always focus as an ECT or I suppose as a as a, a teacher any stage in your career um, the tendency seems to is always we're critical of ourselves we tend to be perfectionists and we tend to want to get everything right and do the absolute best possible job at all times and we know that that's an impossible task but that doesn't stop us striving to achieve it and we do have a tendency to focus on the things that went wrong so at the end of a lesson when something hasn't quite gone the way we wanted to we do tend to focus on the things that we didn't like the student that caused a disruption or the student that didn't understand the work or um, the, so whatever it might have been that went wrong and I just thought we need to spend more time concentrating on what went right you might have had one student who you had to um, what's the word target with the behavior policy because they were they weren't doing the work or they were trying to disrupt things but chances are you had I don't know 25 26 27 maybe more other students in the room who achieved everything that you were hoping they would achieve for that lesson and it's the focusing on the, the black spot on the white sheet isn't it we we think of we always focus on the thing that went wrong and and we need to stop doing that because it's not productive for us and it's not productive for the students that we teach and it's that looking back and thinking okay well what went right and what do I need to make sure I do again tomorrow or in the next lesson but when it comes to the things that went wrong make a plan for it okay so that thing happened and I'm not happy with it or I delivered that in a way that probably didn't work so what am I going to do about it next time and make a plan um, am I going to change the the seating plan so that that particular student is uh, sat next to somebody who they can't disrupt or um, that they can't chat to while I'm trying to deliver the instructions that um, mistake I made in that lesson where I probably over explained it and I gave them too much information overloaded um, their working memory how am I going to break that down better next time so that I don't do that and, and those are two examples of things that I've actually done myself this week and it's been so helpful that it's something I'm definitely going to do again. I read a, I read a blog actually, courtesy of Teacher Tap, and um, the the point was the uh, making an Ulysses pact with yourself. So we all think of things that we know we want to do better, whether that's in our careers or in everyday life, generally. And the idea of an Ulysses pact, it's it's um, linking it to the idea of. I always think of him as Odysseus rather than Ulysses, but let's use give him, give him his, his proper title, uh, proper name, is uh, when he was sailing past the island of the Sirens and he strapped himself to the, he had his, his crew strap themselves, strap him to the mast of the ship 
and then he had them fill their own ears with beeswax and row the ship through past you know through, through this dangerous bit of water where ships were often wrecked on the rocks because they were captivated by the siren song and rather than just ignore it ignore the problem he knew he had to tackle it in order to defeat the sirens and prevent this problem from occurring again so by strapping himself to the mast he was able to resist the siren song but still hear it still um, process it and uh, understand the impact that it was having on people and that idea he made a plan the point of the the blog post is all he sees made a plan and he didn't just say you know what we're gonna I'm going to have that problem when we sail past that island. So we're just going to do what we always do and hope for the best and possibly be completely obliterated as a result. Or in, I suppose if we apply the same analogy to teaching, if you know you're going into a class and you're going to have a particular problem or, or you know that there's something in your lesson plan which didn't really work last time, but you're going to do it anyway because you maybe you don't know what else to do or you just want to try it again and see if you can do it better... The idea is to have a plan of action. What are you going to do to achieve a specific goal? And in this blog, it used more general examples of, if you know um, you always work through your lunch when you know that you're supposed to, you need to take a break, then what are you going to do to accomplish that? And it's the idea of get up and move away from your desk, go for a walk. Do something specific that achieves a particular goal. And I just found that really helpful. It was a real light bulb moment for me. And just the fact that it's stuck in my head for so long um, really made a difference. So yeah, and all these seeds packed with yourself. How are you going to improve the next lesson? Or what are you going to do to make sure the things that you want to see every lesson happen? And yeah, so it was a real kind of I don't want to say epiphany, but yeah, it was it was a real light bulb moment, and it just it raised a second question then because we had a, a really really interesting um, CPD session after school on Friday, and it was completely voluntary. Yes, I did. I am that keen. I went to a CPD session after school on a Friday, but it was a it's a field that I'm really interested in, and it was it was about the science of learning, and it was about how students learn, how we can. Um, adapt strategies in our classroom to help them learn and I learned lots myself like for instance research says that anyone not just students but anyone can only hold between seven and nine items in their working memory at any one time which means even the most experienced learner the most um, you know the most educated person who is used to dealing with lots of different things having lots of plates spinning at the same time they can only focus on a maximum of nine things at the same time so if we break that down and think how we apply that to our students who are not experienced learners then realistically we can't give them more than one two maybe three things to do simultaneously and it was how do we and that could be things like having them write the date and the title down in their books while we then talk to them about the lesson objective um, or how many instructions do we give them at any one time so we think and I did it myself this week the reason I'm talking about it is because I hold my hands up I made this very same mistake and it was about uh, the the feedback session that I was just 
explaining about where I wrote five tasks on the board. And in my mind, that was just simply the tasks that they needed to work through to achieve the green pen improvement task that I'd set them. And it was, uh, you need first things first, you need to write the data and the title in your book. Then you need to find your spellings and correct them. Then you need to, if you've been given um, any work to do on improving your punctuation, you need to do that. Then stick the, stick the feedback in your book. Then, like I say, do the hi- highlight the good bits, underline the bits you need to improve, and then off you go. That's That was six, wasn't it? Sorry, six things. And I then collected in my year nine books to have a look at what they'd done. And let's just say, I need to do that lesson again because they did everything perfectly up to about 0.4. And then almost every single one in the class hadn't then completed the work. Now that might just be because I, I went round and I checked that everybody was, was you know, not everybody, of course, I'm not, you know, superwoman, <laughs> but I did my best to go around and check that the students were on with the work and they were understanding it. And clearly, it's not that they haven't understood what was required of them because they've done the tasks, but they have not completed it in the way I was hoping them to do, that they would. And that is only down to me, because if it was one or two, then clearly it was just a misunderstanding with one or two students. But the fact that the majority of my class did not accomplish the green pen work suggests that either I've set them too much to do in the lesson or they haven't fully understood my expectations and I can have to feed that back to the possibility that I overloaded them with information. As an an experienced learner, as an expert learner, I thought that was pretty straightforward and all I was doing was giving them a list of things to do but each thing, each task was connected to the previous one. It seemed a very straightforward progression to me but to them that represented six different tasks that they had to accomplish or they had to deal with in their working memory simultaneously and that probably wasn't everything that was me also then there was probably me on top of that there was me delivering the instructions there was then possibly my distracting them when I was talking to another student you know other students nearby might have been distracted by what I was doing with one individual in the room and so that was a steep learning curve for me and certainly something that I don't intend to um, repeat but in this meeting that I was having with my colleagues um, we had four very I want to say the word progressive because that's what I actually mean, you know, forward thinking and wanting to make a change. Um, But that's not to tag them because I still, I still admit, I do not know what prog means. Okay. If somebody can, can tune in and tell me, please do. Um, But the idea with the, the, these four teachers were in this room because they were committed to teaching and learning. They were, they um, all, we all had an interest in the research and the things that said these strategies can be employed to help your students learn more effectively. And essentially that requires teachers to also adapt the way they work and potentially change something that they've been doing in order to achieve the ultimate end goal, which is the most effective learning experience for the students that are in front of us. And it actually led on to off on quite a significant tangent, but 
no less interesting and no less valuable as a conversation was um, what came out of it was this idea of what about the staff who don't want to change? Now, we four were uh, reflective practitioners. We read the research. We have an interest in it. Um, I'm obviously going through the ECT program at the moment, which is very much based on research um, laid down by the Education Endowment Foundation. But we're seeing more of this coming from, um, I don't know if it's accurate to say it's coming from Ofsted, but certainly there's, there seems to be, a, there's a lot more emphasis in my school anyway of the same research um, being used to direct CPD amongst staff and also encourage certain strategies to be employed in the classroom, such as live modelling, guided practice, and um, the completing the feedback loop, making feedback truly valuable and effective for students. So we got to talking about this and we said the problem is is that that there are a lot of there are several key members of staff, usually unfortunately in, in a head of department role or certainly in a middle leadership role, who are very experienced practitioners and it's not to say they are not good teachers, but because they've been teaching for so long, they don't believe that there's anything else they need to learn. They've been there, done it, got the T-shirt. They perhaps it's not to say that they haven't changed over the course of their career, but in any in any way, the way that they are teaching at the moment is the way that they've taught for a long time. We're quite happy with it, thank you very much. There's nothing we there's nothing else we need to know, or at least there's nothing else we need to consider. And one of the um, the teachers that was present was being very frustrated by in her department because she had one of these department heads who would actually shut her down if she suggested doing anything new and um, it wasn't coming from her necessarily well you know in terms of her ideas it was based on research and she was presenting it in department meetings and the department head was rejecting it because they didn't see the merit of it and it got us to talking about the frustration of that. And we were taught, we, we were, um, I've, I've sort of coined it as perhaps the barrier of experienced staff or the wall of middle leadership. Um, because I certainly don't feel that that is my experience in my department. I think that it made me realize that I am very fortunate. We've got a department head who, yes, is a very experienced teacher, um, is possibly a bit what you would call old school, maybe that's what we mean by trad, uh, has, uses tried and tested ways, doesn't really buy into PowerPoints and, and visualise and things like that, is very much a, a whiteboard and a, and a pen and uh, that didactic teaching method of, of questioning. And it obviously works very well, he gets excellent results and he's an incredibly knowledgeable, lots of subject, you know, very in-depth subject knowledge, which I think personally really goes a long way, um, especially in a subject like English, where often a teacher can carry can can carry off good results and can carry the room of students because they are so charismatic in their knowledge and, and the students recognise that this is somebody who can really help me because they know so much. And but he's he's not closed to new ideas. And we are also very fortunate that 
one of um, the members of SLT is an English teacher and um, is very forward thinking and very open, uh, you know, very uh, widely read in terms of the research and, and is, is very about trying new things, even just to see if they work. So in English, in the English department, I feel that we're almost encouraged to suggest new things. And I, I've i been um, given the opportunity to do that myself, which feels a little bit uh, very nerve wracking when you are brand new and you're thinking, oh, you know, you know, what do I know? But just knowing that your idea will be listened to and considered makes a huge difference to your confidence as a new teacher. And so I personally feel very well supported in, in that area, um, but also supported to, to try something and make a mistake. And if it doesn't work, we, we try something else. But clearly this, this other teacher, um, different department who, who felt very differently. And it, it got us to talking about what do you do in a school where you have that barrier, that wall of middle leadership, i.e. a head of department, or a, a, a curriculum coordinator who is adverse to change and who is very stuck in their ways and not prepared to try anything differently. And I suppose from my limited experience of the education sector, because as, as, you'll, as you'll know from if you've listened to my previous shows, I didn't work in education at all. I have no experience of education before I trained as a teacher. From, from what I've picked up is that the ten, uh, teaching tends to go through cycles of um, things that are popular and schools are encouraged to do and really go for it, you know, and, and this, is, this is the best thing that's ever happened to education. This will work. You must do it. And there is a debate at the moment going on about phonics, te- phonics teaching in, in primary school. And that was really pushed as the best way to get students, young students, primary school children to learn to read and now that there, there are critics coming out and saying well actually these ideas are being debunked um, do we need to look at doing something differently and when an idea has been pushed for as long as that you can understand why teachers get a bit jaded with this idea of oh let's do something new because they're probably just thinking oh it's going to be another fad another cycle of change everything and then in a in five years six years times we'll, we'll just change it back to how it was before But when you've got such good quality research coming through now from organisations like the EEF with researched and documented data that says, look at the positive impact this is having. This isn't just a fad. This is something that we've looked at for for years. And these are the things that we've found beyond a shadow of a doubt always work for students in the classroom. What do you do about that? What's your school's approach to that of um, overcoming that reluctance to change I imagine if you've got a head teacher who is also of that mindset then you kind of know the answer to that question before you even get going but I believe that our school is is quite forward thinking in that our SLT is made up of very open-minded teachers who who really want at least to look at the information that's out there and the things that we might be missing out on or considering how we could do things differently because let's face it maybe they're not working as well as we want them to and you've got 
a veritable army in my school of very young, enthusiastic uh, teaching staff who were more than prepared to invest their time in in these things and um, try them out in their classrooms and see what works. But they, they feel like they're working as individuals because they might try something in their classroom and they think it's brilliant. And then they take it to their head of department who dismisses it because what's the point of doing that? What we're doing is already is okay. So the question then became is after this meeting that, we've, that we're all sat in now, what do we do after the meeting? What happens as a result of this meeting? And who's going to act upon the feedback? So that we haven't just wasted our time basically um, because the, the, the teacher who was running the meeting, again, another very experienced um, teacher, more than 20 years experience, who has been SLT and uh, knows the ins and outs of, of how schools work, she wrote down sort of the main ideas that we'd come up with for the meeting and her intention was to take them to the person who is going, who is, is um, the, the TNL lead in the school and have a conversation about how we would go about at least opening the dialogue to how these things could be implemented in school. But that becomes the question then, isn't it, I suppose, is you then are relying on having the next level of hierarchy in the school being prepared to run with it, being prepared to go, okay, you've had this idea, give it a try, feedback the results, or, or let's roll it out in one department and see how it works and see if there's any mileage to it being applicable in other areas as well. And one of the great ideas we, I think we did have was the idea that we, we needed to be cross-curricular. It shouldn't just be each department does their own thing. Because again, one of the other things that, one of the other ideas that, that came out of the discussion was the science department actually teach the mathematical elements of their subject in a completely different way to the maths teachers in the maths department. So the students are essentially having their working memory overloaded by the same task. So they might be doing a task that is, for all intents and purposes, exactly the same in their physics lesson as they are doing in their maths lesson. But because the teachers approach the, the, the actual teaching aspect of it, instructing them how to do the work in a different way, they are then having to process two different ways of coming to the same conclusion depending on whether they're sat in physics or maths. And that is something that could feasibly, I mean, call me naive perhaps, but surely that's something that could be feasibly resolved by the maths and the science department sitting down and saying, okay, we need to synchronize this particular part of the curriculum. And it's applicable in English as well, of course, because in, for instance, when we do Animal Farm in year eight, uh, I, I know that there is a, um, a topic in history which does at least touch on the Russian Revolution. So shouldn't we be coordinating the curriculum so that we teach Animal Farm in the same term as we teach the Russian Revolution in history? And then it reduces the cognitive load on the students because they can make readily make connections between the two subjects and they can apply that they're they've got that retrieval element going on because in their English lesson they need to retrieve facts and, and context that they learned in history but also in their history they can then apply their um, their knowledge of the of the text and and the 
they've got a bit more awareness of, of the type of struggles that people were going through that they can then apply in their history lesson, which reduces cognitive load, which means that you're basically acting, each subject is acting as the other's retrieval practice to a certain extent. And to my mind, that, that, makes, that makes sense. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah, the, the willingness to sit around a table or to get everyone in the same room to talk about that and actually then be prepared to change the way we're doing things if indeed we decide that it would be better to do so, how do you overcome that barrier of the, the members of staff who don't, who simply do not want to do it, who do not see the point? That's possibly a, a, a question that I hope will be answered um, for, for my school anyway, or at least uh, at least get some feedback on that soon. But it would be great to hear what your schools are doing. How do your schools enact change does it come from the bottom up do your senior management listen to the ideas and requests of the general body of staff or is it does it rely entirely on coming from the top down do the is it is it all down to the head and the senior leadership team to say to the middle leadership and therefore the um you know the, the body of 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 teaching staff this is what we need you to do we're holding you accountable to do it i don't know i don't know is the answer but it's something that we've we've been talking about a lot recently and especially because these strategies are uh, are at the forefront of the um the ect program for me at the moment um the, this week it's been last couple of weeks it's been all about these things like retrieval practice how are we embedding that in lessons um and guided practice and live modeling. These seem to be the, the some of the key ideas that are really being promoted as making learning as effective as it can possibly be. But when you're training a cohort and the next generation of teachers to use these strategies, but they are then in a school perhaps that does not buy into those strategies and, and maybe doesn't use them or doesn't use them in a way that makes it clear to the students what they're doing there is potentially a, a gap forming there um, that is going to cause issues between um, new teachers coming into the, into the profession and the more experienced teachers um, who are who, who believe that the way they're doing things doesn't need to change so what do we do? What do we do in those circumstances? I'm going to be talking to uh, my guest at six o'clock about those very things. So I've now talked for 40 minutes. So thank you very much for, for bearing with us. I've, uh, thank you, everyone who's in the live studio. I think this might be my record number of listeners this week. So thank you all so much for your support. Um, just to those of you who joined a little bit later, in 20 minutes time, I will have, hopefully, uh, Andy from Mr. T's NQTs on Twitter joining me for a Q&A session. So specifically, uh, um, he focuses on helping ECTs and mentors, but he is an incredibly experienced uh, teacher and has worked in a variety of different roles within education. So he will be, and he's just so generous with his time and his knowledge. So he will be more than happy to answer any questions you might have. So with that in mind, I'm going to break now for the news and the adverts, and I will see you, uh, I will be back to talk to you again shortly. 
This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Colin's Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. A report in The Independent makes it clear that Ofqual's chief regulator believes that changes to the 2022 examinations will not advantage more able pupils. As a result of the disruption caused by the pandemic, pupils in England and those students sitting GCSE from English exam boards will be offered a choice of topics in some GCSE exams. In a speech to the Sixth Form Colleges Association conference earlier in January, Chief Regulator Joe Saxton said the release of advanced information on the kinds of topics pupils will see in their exams would not advantage higher ability pupils. This advanced information is due on February the 7th and is being released to help students focus their revision to answer questions carrying more marks. It will not be provided for simpler one or two mark questions. In a statement, Ms Saxton said that she hoped that the advanced information will mean students who suffered the most disruption or those who are less able, may gain confidence to tackle elements of the paper that they might not previously had the confidence to try. 
In response to the comments, Jeff Barton, General Secretary of Askell, said, Many school leaders will have legitimate concerns about how the advance information about exam content has been put together and how helpful it is likely to be to their students. Radio 1 presenter Vic Hope has returned to a former school in Newcastle to open its new wellbeing centre. In a report on the ITV News website, it is described how Ms Hope opened the centre at Dame Allen's in Fenham by stating, it's been important to me in my work to raise awareness, destigmatize, and signpost resources dedicated to nurturing the psychological and emotional well-being of our young people. And I am so proud that the Dame Allens is clearly doing this work so well too. Ms Hope is a human rights activist and Amnesty International ambassador, and has spoken candidly about mental health in the past. The Snug at Dame Allens offers counselling, psychotherapy, and special educational needs support and provides a dedicated place where students feel safe, heard and understood. With mental health and well-being now a key focus for many schools, Ms Hope praised the efforts made by schools to support pupils in this way. The news website Monitor reports on lessons the continent of Africa can learn about investing in education. It states that the universal lesson is that countries can no longer ignore the unprecedented learning crisis facing the continent. The pandemic has revealed what the article describes as alarming inequalities in accessing inclusive and quality education. The issue was discussed by leaders at the Global Education Summit, co-hosted by Kenya and the UK in London last week. The continent is facing some harsh realities and the summit launched a drive to increase national budget allocations for education, with greater emphasis on improving learning outcomes. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we're going to take a look at teaching online. Marmite comes to mind when I think about teaching online. I actually like it, but it's my job and I'm surrounded by gadgets to assist me. A lot of teachers hate it. If you think about it, for 90% of the current population of teachers, delivering a lesson online is something they've not even been trained in. They signed up to be in the classroom with a group of pupils. I'm not going to go into the depths of the delivery platform. That's normally a choice that's already made for you by technology leaders in schools. I'm going to give you a couple of free tools that work in a browser, so don't need installing and can be used for engagements in the classroom and easily adapted to use online. First up, we all love Kahoot. Did you know you can set a Kahoot to be self-paced rather than live? Simply click the assign button and you have an instant self-paced quiz for a homework, a starter or a progress check. If you need to take it online, share the link and off you go. If you use lots of YouTube clips and websites, check out Wakelet. Share collections of links in a meaningful way for free. My favourite use for this is to group my YouTube clips for topics. Not only are they played back with less distractions, but I can share a group of links for revision or to flip a lesson. Again, if I have to teach online, one link can lead to many. Just remember to check your school's policy on using websites such as YouTube for online teaching. If you have access to devices in the classroom, why not try Mentimeter? Create interactive presentations, take votes or build word clouds from participants' answers to improve engagement, assess learning and inspire discussion. Or, if you love whiteboard, try whiteboard.fi. As a teacher, you can see all your classes' whiteboards and answers, know who's interacting and who's not. You can even show a QR code for ease of joining. I could go on and on, 
The idea is to test these things out when you're with your class and there's no pressure. Then, should you need to teach online, you'll feel more comfortable, there'll be fewer issues, and most importantly, you'll see if pupils are engaging. I hope you consider bringing a bit of tech into your classroom. As always, please test things work in your setting before you use them. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome back everyone. Thank you very much for bearing with us this evening and for all of the people who are in the live studio uh, right at this moment in time. I'm hoping that means that you're all geared up and ready with your questions to ask Andy when he's on in a few minutes. Uh, typically, he, um, I think he, he tried to call in just as I click play on the adverts. Um, so hopefully if you're listening Andy, we are ready when you are. Thank you very much. So yeah, we, we were talking just before we, um, we broke for the adverts about um, why it's important for teachers to be reflective and always consider what they've been doing and why they're doing it and what happens when that stops. Um, is there a point at which teachers perhaps feel that they know everything there is to know? Perhaps maybe if you, if you have found strategies that work really well, why wouldn't you just you know do the same do those same things um but it raises the question of are the students the same as they used to be are the students that are sat in front of us now in the classroom the same type of learners with the same sort of outlook on life as they were five ten fifteen years ago i would possibly argue not because i've experienced that just for myself you know i can obviously i can't talk for uh, what students were like before but just from my own experiences of school and the way that students operate now is completely different we didn't have mobile phones when when I was at school and when I was at primary school and, and I think that um, when I came up into secondary school I was at least 13 or 14 before I got a mobile phone and you literally all you could do is call and text there was no there was certainly no social media and the um the things you had to do to fill your spare time as a as a young person, um, as a teen, were very different. I still remember when there were only four channels on the TV, for instance, and we didn't have internet TVs, you know, and, and all these all these type of things. So it's we can't possibly go into the detail of, of what that effect has having on students. That is for another show. But just the fact that it 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 raises that issue of the, the gap possibly between the teacher and the student is getting wider because the students are a different breed. They're a completely different generation. They've got a different set of interests, different potential careers that they're going to go into in the future. And the teachers who have always taught this, the way that they have taught, and perhaps it has worked for them up until now, will it continue working for them into the future? That remains to be seen. And then, of course, they the idea that do we, should we ever stop learning as educators? We're responsible for teaching students. We learn how to teach, we train to be a teacher. But surely the biggest advocates for continuous learning should be teachers. We should always be saying to students that it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter whether you, when you, if you only complete um, six, uh, you know, GCSEs and go into an apprenticeship, if you go on to sixth form, if you go to university, 
your education doesn't end at the point at which you leave education, formal education. It should continue right the way through your life. And if we're advocating that attitude to students, then surely we should be walking the walk and we should be thinking about how we can continually learn about our profession, our teaching strategy, our teaching styles, our life in general. You know, it, it's it's a huge it's a huge umbrella term, isn't it, to, to, you know, continuous learning. But whatever it might be, I think there is almost a sense of we should have, there should be an obligation on the part of teachers to have that attitude. Just to break off and say thank you very much for everyone who's joining us. I have, um, I think we've picked up about 20 people in the live uh, studio in the last five minutes. So clearly you're all um, champing at the bit, waiting to go looking forward to talking to you as the show only lasts until half past six um possibly not going to have a chance to answer everybody's questions but hopefully um the wisdom that is imparted will help you and answer your questions um that would be andy's wisdom not mine uh, i you know not all of this is just my these are just my musings these are just my experiences but in talking to other teachers i try and talk to as many people as possible as i can about teaching just to make sure I'm doing it right, if, if for no other reason. And their opinions are not vastly different from mine um, in regards to this. So that's reassuring that teachers as a rule do believe that it's learning is something that we do throughout our entire lives. Um, just quickly, some more uh, reflections on my week and on my month before we get a call from Andy is about... Um, it's yeah i was going to say it, it's possible to have the best lesson you've ever had and the worst lesson you've ever had simultaneously that was a bit of a shock for me but yes it happened um so that lesson that we were just talking about before where we had um you know some really great feedback really great enthusiasm coming from the students i have never had to call colleague support and utilize our buddy system more since i started teaching than i have in the past week and it does cause you to think, is it me? Am I the problem here? And of course, much reassurance was given that no, it wasn't me, that I was doing the right thing, relying on the behavior policy, but it does make you feel a little insecure, especially as a new teacher, that you've had to call someone into your lesson because you couldn't deal with something. And I know that's completely unrealistic when you've, I've been doing it for five minutes in comparison to some of the people and um the you know they i had other colleagues saying to me don't worry i've had to do the same thing this week there's something in the air this week i had a really tough lesson with this particular class who were normally absolutely fine but again i think it, it taught me that the flip side of that was actually i have felt incredibly supported by my senior leadership team this week because it was it's usually the senior leadership team who respond to colleague support call call outs and just just for the record there was nothing dr drastically wrong there was there was no um extreme behavior it was what you i suppose you would call low level but it was it was just constant and it was just continuous disruption and each time i would address it the students it was individual students one or two in in the class would start it up again and of course we go through the, the, the we have a warning system where three 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 warnings and you get a behavior point 
but of course it's at the teacher's discretion to remove that student from the room if, if they feel that that the student isn't working and it might just be go stand outside calm down and then I'll bring you back in once I've got everybody set everybody else settled it might be that you decide you need to remove that student to to buddy them up with another class um and they and they do their work with a class working next door to you or we might have to remove them completely and um for the rest of the lesson in which case we call colleague support and they either remove the student or they give them a firm talking to. Well, that happened to me four times this week. And um, each time, I think uh, three of those times, the head himself was involved. So, of course, there was the anxiety of, oh, you know, he's kind of seeing all of my weaknesses. But actually, we had a very good conversation afterwards about how he... he um, I want to say congratulated, but he praised me for doing the right thing and for calling on that support and made me feel that I had it showed a, a strength on my part to know when I needed the support for the benefit of the students in my room the other students who were also being disturbed than the fact that it was because I couldn't cope so that's why I say that it was both the best and worst lesson simultaneously because I have never had to to deal with behavior on that level before but as a result of that, I left for the day feeling upbuilt because of my because of the support from the school, but also because I had assisted the learning of the other students in that room, and I had made sure that their learning was was being put as a priority. And I've also uh, just as an ac accidentally kind of stumbled over some resources this week, which have proved to be absolutely fantastic. And I've used them three or four times in, in different lessons across different year groups and different sets because they were so relevant and so applicable and they were all about grammar. And I've discovered, which again, might be something really straightforward, but I've discovered that rather than just giving students the, the, the idea of guided practice, that you, know, you do things with your class, you give them an example and uh, then you work through it with them and then you give them the opportunity to practice it themselves with your support. I was listening to another podcast um, based out of Australia the other day and it was uh, with, uh, I can't remember her surname, but her first name's Anita and she coined the phrase, I do, we do, you do. And it's it's essentially that idea where you demonstrate it and then you help the students understand it, you do it with them practice it with them and then you set them off and and guide them to achieve it independently and that approach to grammar specifically was again another little light bulb moment that I've had it was so effective and I immediately saw the impact that that had had on my students work um, because then when they did a piece of writing for me they when I said this is the type of thing I need you to do to demonstrate that you're improving your writing. Here's the lesson on, on the grammar and the, um, the vocabulary for effect that you need to know to be able to demonstrate that improvement. They were then immediately able to apply that. And it was so simple and yet so powerful. And I will definitely be using it again. But nobody, nobody told me to do that. Nobody... Um, and, and this isn't a, a criticism, it, it's, it's just a fact. 
there was never a, a point on my ECT, uh, sorry, my um, trainee ITT program where that was made clear to me that this is a good idea to do. Perhaps it was just because I didn't get the opportunity to observe it with anybody else, but or because I, 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 I sort of the idea is is I didn't know that I didn't know it. So I couldn't ask how to do it because I didn't know that I didn't know. <laughs> and that might sound really, you know, I, I don't think I've expressed that in the in the best way, but that's the, that's the, um, uh, the sort of, uh, the feeling that I had is when you are new to the profession, how do you know what you don't know until you realize you don't know it? And then you can ask for help, but, it's other teachers can't be mind readers can they you know you have to ask the questions um and they in order for them to help you oh andy there we go i can see you i'm just inviting you on thank you very much hello can you hear me i can hello apologies hello I do apologise. No, don't you apologise. It's quite all right. I saw you call in just as I clicked play on the advert and, and I tried to send you a message. And then, of course, I've just got your message now saying you were on another call. So is everything OK? How's yes, your evening going? <laughs> oh, my daughter fell off her bike earlier today. And oh. um, since that point, she struggled to weight bear on it. So we oh. rang one earlier just to see if their advice. But she is still struggling to weight bear. So we've got to keep dosing her up and seeing how she is in a couple of hours time and possibly oh. take her to A&E but we will see we'll see where we are but glad <laughs> you, say, to you. You, you say you say that with the casual air of a parent who's been there done this and absolutely is taking it all in their stride <laughs> congratulations <laughs> yeah. to you yeah well thank you so much obviously um in in the chaos that's going on at home at the moment thank you so much for giving your time to us this evening um so I am I'm very pleased to say that we have a lot of uh, callers who are listening to the show at the moment. So I'm going to do a shout out now to anyone. If anyone's got any questions, then please get in touch, um, call in and, and Andy is here to, to help you with your burning questions. But um, until we, we get there, Andy, what I, I, I don't know, I saw you were listening into the show um, just uh, you know, when you when you tried to call in uh, about fifteen minutes ago, um, I don't know how much you heard of it, but we're just talking about the idea of 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 how sort of less experienced teachers can act upon um, the 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 sort of potential barrier of more experienced teachers who are quite reluctant to change. What would be your advice in that scenario? It, a lot of kind of the advice I give, particularly around kind of sorts of things when we're talking about kind of instigating a change or um trying to move things forward it's about relationships and i think as a as a, new, a newly qualified or an early career teacher you have so much energy enthusiasm and potential and you know these fantastic ideas that you've kind of you've gleaned you've gained from lots of different places and actually when you enter a, a new school and you're bringing those ideas with you often people can be like oh no we've always done it this way we've always done it that way and sometimes there has to be that person that says yeah but we could try it somewhere else and that can be really difficult as um an ect to be able to say that yes but yeah um, so build those relationships you know spend time talking to your colleagues listen to what they're saying but there is nothing often to stop you and um schools i've worked in before have always been very much you know we have these kind of these policies but actually there is wiggle room within there. And in certain elements, there is autonomy in your own classroom to be able to do things in the way that works for you. 
And if you're trying something because you think it, it, it's, it's great and it's working because you've experienced before it's new to the school, do it. Get your mentor involved and say, I'm trying this out. It's working really well. Come and watch. Come and join in with me. Let, let's have this chat together. And then it can be disseminated that way. Because sometimes you aren't in that position as an early career teacher to be able to influence that change. But what you can do is you can open up the eyes of people that are in that position and they can then say, do you know, I've watched a fantastic lesson in this class today. It was amazing. They were doing this. It worked really, really well. This is something I'd like us all to try. Let's come and, you know, do you mind if we, like, you know, I send other staff to come and watch you doing it to see how it's working for you? So yeah. we can kind of move this forward. I think that's definitely the way to kind of build it through. It's about those connections with people being able to move things through and over time when you've got that relationship with people and I found I found from my own experience the majority of people who've been in the career a long time are open to change because they get very as teachers I think we always want to try something new otherwise it can become quite stale for us so we want to kind of move things forward so those new ideas are often readily received however there are those people that you know know that's my mug that's my chair you know, this is how it's always been that you will meet in your career yeah. build those relationships spend time with them get to know them and then when you've got that relationship you can start to influence yeah it, it is difficult i think as well because sometimes um your enthusiasm can almost uh, act as a can act as, as its own barrier because they are sort of uh, they, they see you as being a bit full-on um yeah. and a bit uh, too, too keen to make a change before you've you've learned the ropes as it were you know the young whippersnapper who doesn't have a clue what's going on <laughs> who, who just thinks that you know um everyone else can just click their fingers and we'll do something differently but then the what i experienced from my um training is that we were actually actively encouraged to, to put ideas forward because we were right next to the research um, and we were probably doing research that some of these other teachers had not seen. So it was almost like, you know, we had the opportunity to draw their attention to things. Um, how, how do you feel that that is working with, you know, as you know, the, the, the new early career framework is very much based on the, on the research from the EEF and yeah. more and more schools are being encouraged to, to embed these strategies in the way they teach anyway. How do you think that, is being received and and what about these these more experienced teachers who might be a bit reluctant do you think the school culture is changing absolutely i do think so and i think that's part of the the drive with things like the early career framework and also the core content framework for initial teacher education it is to, to drive change at its earliest point it's a bit like you know when we, we talk about changes they want to happen in the lives of children it's often started at the earliest point in the early years so it's getting making that fundamental change really early on so it moves through mm. and i think there is that definitely that drive to, to change like you said bring in that research informed practice and to develop those concepts those ideas in schools that are very much research-based research informed and to push them through i think you know for me one of the greatest examples is this idea of flexible grouping rather than set ability grouping that actually there is no real research behind that's, that's beneficial for pupils for ability grouping mm. so actually the the driver of the ecf the ccf is all about actually that idea that flexible grouping is a much more beneficial strategy for all 
for all pupils. Yeah. And again, it's that influential change. And actually, as trainees, as early career teachers, if that's your understanding, no, this does work, this is the way it's working, again, that change can kind of cascade over time. And mentors, induction tutors working with the materials, again, it exposes them to the research behind it to think, actually, it's something that we've just always done, but actually, the research points that actually it's, it's quite ineffective for pupils. We need to try something different. Yeah, I suppose it, the question becomes, what do we try? Because one of the things we were I was talking about earlier was, um, and you'll probably be in a much better position to, to comment on this, is the debate that's going on around phonics at the moment in primary school. Um, and obviously that was something that has been really pushed and promoted as, as the best way forward. And now there's question a quite big question mark over whether or not it's as effective as everyone thought it was. So I suppose in, in a profession that tends to be quite cyclical with this, how do you know when you've when you found something good you know what what should we be basing those decisions on 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 whether or not to implement new practice i think part of it has to be that sense of you know you have to look beyond where you are and things like the education endowment foundation with you know quite a wide range of research base that informs kind of their materials kind of their advice and guidance but I think every context is very different and very specific and often um, that's something that as schools we can uh, we can lose sight of that actually yes we we can try it with these pupils but there will all be there may all be pupils there may be classes there may be contexts where it is not as effective mm-hmm. and we may need to tweak that practice and develop it for, develop it further I've you know, I taught primary aged pupils for 16 years and some people some pupils phonics worked for fantastically. Other pupils, actually, phonics did not help them at all to learn to read. And it was very much we needed to build that sight vocabulary, that contextual understanding, being able to infer from, deduce from pictures and images to be able to construct what was going on there for them because they couldn't grasp phonics as a method of, as a way of accessing reading. So there are always those exceptions. I think we're very much as profession professionals, we're very aware of actually this works for 99% of my class, I'll go with it, I'm just going to have to do something extra for this pupil or something slightly different or get that little tweak because they need something a little bit above and beyond what that does for them and I think we're really good at that Um, and it is about, for me, it's about actually okay the research says this, I'm going to try it in practice, actually that's not worked for me, why? And sometimes you need to go back to the research to think let's look at the context that this was you know, carried out in, how that research was constructed, where it was based upon, and then make me think, actually, no, it should work, I need to go back and I need to try it again, but actually maybe I've missed something fundamental there that I can adapt my practice to make it more effective. And I think it's just that flexibility and that that approach of thinking, okay, just because somebody has said this is the way it should be done, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work in every context. And I think, you know, a great one for me is we always think about the work of, of Skinner and operant conditioning, you know, mm. punishment stops pupils from doing things, praise makes it more likely to happen. But we've all met those pupils that, you know, whatever your system, your school uses, whether it's zone boards or whatever, there's that pupil that's quite happy to be in the red, but at the red area of the zone board for the entire yeah. day. And it really doesn't phase them at all. So we know that research you know, whatever its context, there are always those exceptions to it. And I think it's about managing that. So, yeah, I mean, that's a great point you make, but I suppose based on what you've just said there, do you think it's down to the responsibility of the individual teacher to make those calls? I think it's mostly schools will probably do that. So SLT will look at it, is this going to work in our context? And 
whenever we used to introduce new um, initiatives, ideas, and strategies in the school, it would always be okay. We'd have a launch staff meeting. We'd talk about it through. We'd unpick how it might work in different with different ages, different um, groups of pupils, particularly. But we couldn't preempt everything at that point. Mm. To uh, then, we'd usually give it okay. We'll give, go. For, go for three weeks we'll work it through and we come back together in the next one and say okay how's it working and then people would be able to share and we could then kind of collectively unpick it i don't think it's one of those things that like, no we've made that decision off you go that's it now and don't darken our doorstep again you have to have that ability to as a as slt as a school to be able to look and think actually is it working is it working for everybody if it's not why not how can we adapt that what things what barriers are there and there may be particular barriers for certain individual teachers certain individual pupils that we have to be aware of and then how as a school we can we can adapt we can make those changes and support those teachers those pupils to be able to make it successful yeah so it sounds like you you're a firm believer in being reflective about the whole process then you know it's not just about implementing a good idea it's about reviewing it and seeing if it works and as you say do we need to tweak it absolutely and i think often there can be a a knee-jerk reaction to if it doesn't work straight away to think oh it's not worth it and we'll, we'll kind of push it to the side and mm -hmm. um, you know it, it takes time and um I do a lot of work with the trainees that I work with around behaviour and say to them, if you bring in a new behaviour management strategy, you often have that honeymoon period of around two, maybe three weeks where everything seems to be, oh, this is amazing. And then suddenly you get that pushback period where the people are like, okay, this is how it works. I wonder if it works like this. And they just want to explore kind of. Yeah, push the, the push the boundaries. Yeah. Absolutely. How consistent are you with this? Do you actually mean everything that you've been saying? Let's just you know, to be able to firm it up. And often students say, oh, well, I gave up after three weeks, it stopped working. Well, actually, the best thing you can do is actually, no, you know, double down on it, be consistent with it, know this is what's happening. And then you can kind of, then you'll kind of make that more permanent change for the pupils, because they will always find, find those ways, or, you know, it may just be something that you've stopped, you've relaxed slightly doing, that you suddenly, they suddenly think, oh, okay, it's a little bit different now. So they behave a little bit differently. I think it's about that, Yes, you've got that honeymoon period where, you know, things often take off very quickly and then it's working through that barrier where you and they are trying to find the, the, the flexibility or yeah. rigidity in what it is that you're trying to implement to move it through. But it is definitely something that I think as early career teachers or NQTs, or actually anybody in their profession, it is about being reflective, thinking, okay, that didn't work today. Why didn't it work today? What where could I have supported that? Okay, mm. actually, I did it exactly the same as I did every other day. What else is happening? Okay, there's a full moon and it's windy outside. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. You know, as we know, as teachers, we can predict the weather. We know what the weather's doing without actually having to open a window or look out of the uh, looking out through the window. Has there been any formal research on that? Because it's certainly true. <laughs> Absolutely, I think there should be. There definitely yeah. should be. <laughs> we'll, we'll, I'll put that forward to my um, uh, to my uh, ECF program provider and see Absolutely. what they say <laughs> yeah but it is like you said it, it is about finding that being reflective and thinking about yeah. and we always start as teachers we always start oh, okay it must have been me and sometimes it isn't you sometimes it's because yeah. that child's come in and they haven't had their breakfast their hamsters died that morning there are we work we don't as teachers we don't work with 
set fixed permanent structures we work with random variables that walk through our door every morning and yeah. their experience and everything they bring to the table we have to take that into consideration as well it's so easy to take it personally isn't it um i was i was just having that same i was just talking about that on the show just before you came on is that i, I said this this week i've had both some of the best lessons and the worst lessons that i've ever had at the same time it's been the yeah. same lesson and it's it's taken quite a bit of, of thinking about and reflecting to think actually you need to focus on the things that were going well almost more so than the things that were going wrong because quite frankly not the, the problems that I was having it wasn't because of anything I was doing as you say it was you know it's been very windy this week um you know a, a lot of teachers that I'm speaking to at, at school at the moment are saying oh there's something in the air at the moment and that and they're all they're all experiencing the same things but I think when you're in your your classroom that is your bubble and unless until you step out of that and talk to other people yeah. you think you're on your own you think it's the only you're the only person it's happening to it's so easy to do isn't it it is. It, it really is. And I think teaching is quite a, it's a strange thing to say, it's quite a lonely job. Because yeah. You're, you're with people all the time, but you're with, you're not with your peers, you're with, with children all the time. And while you get that interaction, it's not the same sort of, of level, which is why I'm a huge advocate and you know through my tweets, you know, about spending time in the staff room, going to seek other people out and saying, gosh, that lesson was a car crash. The kids were wild this morning because yeah. nine times out of 10, they are going to say exactly the same back to you. Yeah. You know, we've all been there. And I think that shared understanding of it, it's not just you, it's just this context at the moment that you think, okay, it's not me. And just to take yeah. you back to a point you were making earlier about reflecting on those positives. And again, the making that link to, um, like behavior management we often you know we talk about you know reinforcing the positives telling them what you do expect rather than what you don't want to see mm -hmm. it's the same with us in our teaching well okay what worked well because if we know what worked well we can replicate that we can repeat it whereas sometimes when we're focusing on the negatives we actually we know what doesn't work that's that's great and that's helpful but actually if we're constantly trying to try different things that sometimes we can lose sight of what is working for us totally and that's the bit that we need to kind of really build on and really um make really robust in our practice this is working i'm going to keep doing this because yeah. i know this works yeah it i, I suppose the, the next question is how do you know it's working because that that's something that's been flagged up as part of the ect program is just because something is is going well as in just because the students are engaged just because they're enjoying the lesson doesn't necessarily mean that they they are learning and and i suppose what would be your advice to that? What what are the things that new, I suppose, new teachers who 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 don't have any experience or very little experience, uh, but I suppose it applies to teachers of all stages of their career. How do you know what's what's your personal guide guidelines to how do you know that learning is taking place? I don't think you ever truly can, and that's a <laughs> helpful answer. I'm really sorry because it, it's reassuring. <laughs> It's such an internal thing for pupils. You, you know, I've, you know, we've all had those lessons where you've done your introduction. The pupils seem to be grasping everything you've said to them. They go off to their independent work, and suddenly it's like something's coming in to sucked all of that knowledge out of their heads. We've all been there because you know we we can we know what pupils can tell us back. We know what they are saying to us. We can question them to check their understanding at that point. But learning is that kind of permanent change. 
And we can't always know that for definite. We have to use a myriad of different strategies. So questioning is a great one. And having those questions where we can quickly on a whiteboard, you know, is this true or is this false? Can you tell me the answer to this? Where you can just quickly scan and that gives you a brief understanding of, okay, I think the majority have got it. There's a couple there I'm going to have to keep my eye on and mm. maybe think you're going to come and work with me in this session because you're way off. Um, but equally, it gives you that chance to, okay, well, how did you get to the answer? Then you can start to check that understanding because what they write on the whiteboard is only half of what's going on. And it's that ability to say, okay, well, how did you get to the answer? What did you do? What process did you go through? Mm. And then that's when you can start to unpick it, having those conversations with pupils and pushing to check their understanding, not just what they can tell you. Their work is a great way of doing it. Um, so looking through at kind of what they're producing in their work, their understanding. And that's where things like flexible grouping comes in really helpful. I used to, at the end of every lesson, okay, I'd have kind of three piles that, yeah, absolutely, these have got it. These are kind of there, but there's a couple of areas I'd like to kind of explore a little bit further. And the ones I think yeah. actually going to need some pre-teaching again before the next session in order to make sure they are going to be ready for that next concept or ready for moving them on. And yeah. that would be kind of how I would structure my groups the next session then. But equally within that session, it could be, you know, you could go with best of intentions that actually yesterday, yeah, you were absolutely fine with this. Oh, okay. There's something going on today that is not quite as, as secure as I thought it was. And again, you have to have that ability to respond and adapt. And I know there's a huge push now where the, to move away from the, using the term differentiation for what we do. We talk about yeah. adaptive teaching and responsive teaching. And differentiation for me forms part of that. It's, you know, how you're structuring the tasks, but it's also there's other things like how I'm focusing my questioning on pupils, how I'm flexibly grouping my use of my, um, any support staff in the classroom. It's all those little adaptations that we can just make in what we're doing the prompts, the scaffolding that we use that allow us then to be able to fully support and help pupils to, to grasp concepts and also for us to know actually yeah you've got that or for those that you think actually you're going to need to spend a little bit longer on that and that and I think that that's something we have to be very mindful of that that's absolutely okay that, that it is okay for pupils not to get something by the end of your teaching because yeah. you can always reteach it, you can always find another opportunity or another way through or another another way of doing it. And, you know, my my wife is um, a solicitor and we would often come home if we'd had a bad day with it, well, at least we're not brain surgeons, you know. If we have a bad day, we can redress it tomorrow. I can always reteach something if I have a bad lesson. It yeah. It's, it's not life or death. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I can still reteach it tomorrow. I've got another crack at it the next day. You know, we can work through and even with 16 years experiences, 16 years experience, I still had that. I still had those lessons. I thought I'm going to have to reteach that tomorrow because nobody's got a clue. Yeah. So you, know, you have those moments and it is completely normal. I think it's that, it's that giving yourself that permission to say, I've had a bad lesson. I'm just going to reteach it tomorrow. I'm going to learn from it and do it again. Yeah. yeah. That must be where school culture makes all the difference in the world because for a profession that that require almost almost it's a prerequisite that you need to be able to spot your mistakes and learn for them so that you can do something about it the the cult it's like any you know like any business organization you've still got to achieve a certain goal and yeah. people might find it very especially as a an inexperienced teacher might find it very difficult to admit that there's something wrong for fear of 
repercussions as in you know being being thought of that they're not doing their job properly or um that you know they don't want to they don't want to say they've done something wrong because they're worried what might happen as a result so what would be your advice on, on that you know that that when you're experienced i suppose like you say you know a lot more about you know what that didn't work but i know i can do it differently because you've got that experience what what if you don't what's your advice on that 99% of the time, I would say, tell somebody you're finding it difficult. Um, yeah. I've worked uh, in my time as an NQT mentor, I worked with 17 different NQTs and the ones who would very openly, honestly come up to me and say, Do you know what, I'm finding this really difficult. I'm struggling with these pupils. I'm finding this difficult. They were the ones that actually went on to become stronger teachers yeah. because there was that willingness, that openness for support. That's there a good were point. some that that I would you know I would come in we'd have a conversation around because I started to spot things or things were noticed that weren't happening and they just burst into I've been struggling with that for weeks or I've been finding it really difficult and then you're having to boost them back up and I always think of the expression that you know it's easy to catch somebody as they're falling that it is sometimes to get them back up off the ground Mm. so you have you know you have to be willing to be caught and be able to say I'm finding this difficult and this is where you know that mentor role at the moment they are there for that reason they are there to support you they are there to be that that close to practice kind of guide and support they can say okay you know okay thank you for telling me that brilliant okay what have you tried let's talk about those things you have have you considered possibly trying this out or yeah why do you think this might not be working for you just having those moments where you can start to unpick and having that somebody that just that sounding board sometimes can be so beneficial it just it reassures that you know and once you've spoken to it somebody about it it really does help the only reason i said 99 percent is the time because i know that there are and this is why i always advocate you've got to find the right school you've got to make sure you're in a place where you can thrive and that looks different for everybody so yeah you know everybody's kind of um safe place for want of a better word everybody's right school is different but it's so important that you're in that right school that you can then be open and honest without fear of reprisal, without fear of there's that judgment or, or you're not coping. Because we're all, everybody is in education to help and to support and to get help people to be better. And for me, that doesn't matter whether that's a four-year-old in EYFS, an 11-year-old about to take their, um, year 11 about to take their GCSEs, or actually a 24-year-old early career teacher that is, is developing we are there to develop everybody and that that for me should be a a prerequisite that we are there to support and that should come from whatever level for whoever needs it within that establishment absolutely and i find it so interesting the way that um the the teaching like our journey as teachers it mirrors what we do with our students in so many ways yet there seems to be sometimes a bit of a disconnect with the the things we say to our students and we expect them to do and how we treat ourselves. So, so as you were just saying, you know, how many times do you say in the, to students, please tell me if you don't understand what we're doing and you get frustrated by the ones who will not put their hands up or they'll not say anything. And, and then it becomes abundantly clear at the end of the lesson or the end of the week or whatever, that they haven't grasped what you were teaching. And you think if only they'd said something, I could have helped them. And how many teachers stay quiet when they are struggling with something because they don't want to tell them, you know, they don't want to admit that they don't get it <laughs> or that they're finding it hard, as you say. 
Absolutely. And you are absolutely spot on there, you know, that we, we have to see it in ourselves. And that, that is, I think it's teachers often we sometimes we have to see ourselves as infallible, that we have to be yeah, on it. Yeah. And, you know, I've never, one of the things I would always say to my ECT, to my trainees that would come into the school, it would always be, you are here to learn, you need to make mistakes, you need to learn from those mistakes, and you will develop into a really effective teacher. If if they feel everything has to be perfect, that's the point where you know, mental health can suffer. There is that unwillingness to communicate where things aren't um, going as well as they could be going. And I think that's where we as a, as experienced teachers in school, whichever, you know, however experienced you are, our duty is to say, actually, do you know what? You're here to make mistakes, you're here to learn, we will support you and we will help you through it. And I think that's where we, like I said, we have that duty. Mm. So, so yeah, so it's back to what we were saying before. It's all about school culture, isn't it? And and having that approach to the people who work in the school and and giving them the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So that half hour has absolutely flown in, <laughs> as I knew it would. Um, so obviously we're we're coming to the end of the show now, Andy. But if you you say we open the show by saying um, I've realised why teachers say that January is the longest month of the year <laughs> because it's just never ending. The end is in sight. So on that note, what what have your um what have your takeaways been from the never ending month? What what would what advice would you give or or what what have you experienced that you want to share? Oh that's a really good question. It's been <laughs> it's been a very interesting month. I think what I would say is keep going. <laughs> First of all oh, good, yeah. you know, just keep going because sometimes you being in the room that day is enough for some pupils in your class you know, great, some yeah. people just knowing that you are there and you are going to be there that day is enough for some of those pupils be kind to yourself it is not it, teaching is not a job that is is easy you know to do well you have to there, it is effortful you have to learn particularly as a as an early career teacher as an actually as an experienced teacher it can be effortful at times and i think mm -hmm. it's about knowing that actually do you know what it is a tough it is a tough job i am working hard it's okay to take some time for me and if a lesson doesn't go well be kind to yourself think actually do you know what <laughs> nobody died in that lesson <laughs> we're okay i'll reteach it again tomorrow and sometimes just enough is more than good enough just being there in front of the children is it's just enough and be kind to yourselves definitely fantastic advice to end on thank you so much for your time this uh, again um it's lovely to talk to you again um amazing how fast the time comes around as well it, it doesn't feel like five minutes ago that you we we, we had our chats last month <laughs> Absolutely, so, I know. More than happy yeah. to chat with you anytime, Kaylee. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, I, uh, all all the best for the for, for next week, and I hope your little one um, isn't too um, badly affected by the by the bike fall. And I hope everything's okay at home because of that. Thank you very much, Kaylee. No worries. All the very best, and take care. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.